definitely got pretty quick. A couple days ago, we was invading the town. Now we're busy. That's, 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 I don't get it. Good morning, and welcome to episode 82 of Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus Daily Podcast. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh, and joining me, as almost always, is Sam Miller in the Honda Fit in his garage in Long Beach, California. Hello, Sam. Hi, Ben. So we had planned, uh, as we told you, to do a listener email show, uh, but the universe intervened and supplied us with a pressing topic. I mean, if if people had um, presciently emailed us about a trade <laughs> yes. between the Blue Jays and the Marlins. No one involving... asked us what our thoughts on, on a 10-player <laughs> blockbuster a... would be. Exactly. So it's I'm your disappointed fault. In our, I'm disappointed in our <laughs> listeners. Um, so we will, stu- we will still do a, a listener email show tomorrow. So if you have questions uh, or comments that you want to be addressed on the show, email us at podcast at baseballperspectives.com. But for now, we figured uh, more people would probably want to hear us talk about the trade that happened between the Blue Jays and the Marlins. Um, I, I don't... count 11, by the way. Oh, is it 11? Players. Okay. I don't even know where to start with this trade. I guess we can. Uh, I guess we can just read out the trade for those of you who may have gone to sleep at about dinner time and missed everything that happened last night. Uh, the Blue Jays and Marlins made a gigantic trade. The Marlins traded Josh Johnson, Mark Burley, Jose Reyes, Emilio Bonifacio, and John Buck, uh, as well as $4 million to the Blue Jays for Yunel Escobar, uh, Henderson Alvarez, and Jeff Mathis, of course, and three prospects. Did I get everything there? I think. Um, so... I don't know. Where do you want to start with this thing? Well, it seems to me that um, the um, the the consensus, as far as I can tell, is that um, this more than anything is an indictment of the Marlins mm-hmm. as an organization, and that they should be uh, ashamed of themselves, and that baseball should contract them or um, dispose of Jeffrey Loria or something because this is not a, a reasonable way to run a organization. Um, and so I guess that's probably the best place to start. Do you um, do you consider this to be a um, a dark day for Miami? Uh, not exactly. I kind of liked uh, Zach Levine's take on it on Twitter, which was that it's hard to fault the Marlins for this specific move, or that that this specific move makes sense. The fact that they're in the situation where they're making this move is kind of a dark mark on baseball and is not good for the game, I would say. Um, But this specific move, it seems like the Marlins probably were not going to be competitive uh, with the players that they had, although with the second wild card and everything, uh, you never know. But, I mean, they kind of started a fire sale last year, so at this point, why not finish it off, I guess? Uh, yeah, it's, if you have it, all the backloaded it, contracts and you're not going to win, you might as well just kind of do the, the whole thing, just go all in on it. 
it's kind of an awesome trade, it seems to me, on paper. If this were uh, the Red Sox and the Dodgers, uh, for instance, uh, who you know in, made a sort of similarly shocking move, if uh, if if a bit different in the uh, texture of it, um, I don't know that there would be all that much of a freakout. I mean, the uh, I, I mean certainly the Marlins gave up a lot of famous players, but. Um, I mean, the sort of the first rule of free agents is that you sign them because you want the first year. And then every year after that, you take on because you have to in order to get that first year. And if if every GM could trade their free agents, their free agent signings after one year, I think they would all be super thrilled uh, with that. Now, Reyes and Burley uh, both more or less uh, more or less lived up to kind of expectations although i guess you could say both were a little disappointing but it's not like either one it fits into that kind of like instant sunk cost category that a lot of contracts do and that you know maybe theoretically um uh, or i should say arguably um albert Pujols and cj wilson maybe do uh two guys who the marlins wanted to sign last offseason but couldn't partly because they wouldn't give them no trade clauses um and uh, but anyway, they, I mean, it is I think it is the case that um, that they they got they got the best year of those contracts. They um, I mean, not, I don't think either one of those deals has a lot of surplus value in them. Um, they're trading Johnson uh, one year before free agency and he's coming off of a, a pretty poor year and they're getting they're getting pretty well stocked up. I mean, it, it seems to me that this is uh, on paper is a very good move. If it were any team but the Marlins, I think it would probably be a, a very defensible move. And I, I think that if there are there are certain teams that um, I think if they had made this move, people would be probably bending bending over to praise uh-huh. uh, for it. But I mean, the fact is that the Marlins come into all this with a lot of baggage, and the baggage is that uh, nobody believed them last off season. And there was this fear that something like this was going to happen. And they had to sort of reassure the public that it wasn't, that they were investing in the team. They were investing in the park. They were investing in everything. There was a, you know, they were in the New Yorker for Pete's sake. <laughs> they were on Showtime. They were, uh, they were going to be big time. And there was, uh, there was a sort of, sh- you know, prove it kind of uh, demand from the public. And for them to not even make it 12 months right. uh, before confirming all of those <laughs> sort of worst ideas about them is pretty spectacular. And and I think that um, the idea that I don't know if um, Jim Bowden is is right about this, but he tweeted that, and I, I he's not alone. I, I think other people have brought this up, but the idea is that now no free agent that they can never get another free agent, uh, another big time mm-hmm. free agent. And I don't know that that's not true. I mean, I think that is. Um, that might be sort of the extra factor to this that um, makes it a kind of terrible baseball move in addition to a terrible PR move. I mean, if you do need to sign free agents from time to time, and, and I mean, I, I wrote about um, about how the Angels got C.J. Wilson and, and Albert Pools um, for ESPN, and I don't uh, remember nearly as much as I should have from that time because uh, these things fall out of my head about four seconds after I finished writing about them. But um, I, I do recall that CJ 
uh, talked to Tory Hunter the night that he signed his deal with the Angels and was trying to sort of get advice from him. And one of the things Tory Hunter told him is, hey, look, you know, they're the Marlins. They could trade you, you know, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that was a factor. I mean, that was a that, the Marlins offered him more money and, and more years. And this yeah, is I guess th- they, they were already sort of fighting against that idea. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I feel like more money and more years would probably still work. Which, I mean, not that that's a good thing that you need to do that. Um, but I wouldn't expect that they could never sign a free agent again. Uh, I would think, I mean, do you think that the Marlins uh, ownership and executives kind of saw this possibility coming and, and just went for the uh, the blanket ban against no trade clauses just to say, well, it, we'll try this for one year and if it doesn't work that work out, we can blow it up very easily? Um, or do you think that they were actually committed and believed that it would work and that this was more of a, I guess, kind of an escape clause for them? Uh, I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you think that they went into it saying we'll give it six months and if it, and if it is a disaster, we can just get out of it easily? No, I don't think that it was quite that, um, that clear in their minds, but uh, I mean, Obviously, I don't know, but I don't think that it was probably like that. But I mean, a trade, a no trade clause has a, a probably. I think that every front office knows more or less what the financial value of a no trade clause is. You know, it's like in Monopoly, you know how, you know roughly how much a get out of jail free card is. It, you know, it, you, it's worth fifty bucks, right? And so I'm sure that there's been some math done to figure out essentially what a no trade clause is worth in a contract negotiation, how much money you give up or whatever. And the Marlins were essentially saying that that calculus did not matter to them, that they were not giving it no matter what, that, that you know, Pools and Wilson uh, could not, uh, you know, take less money for a no trade clause. They were not, I mean, they were very clear. They do not do it. It is a policy they have. So that to me says that even if they don't plan on trading them from the day they sign them, that they're less committed to the idea of keeping those players than another team would be. I mean, it, it, it tells the players something about kind of where the club's priorities are. And this club's priority is clearly to be able to break down and, move on when 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 they're ready to yeah uh before we started recording i went on the radio with dave weekly uh who is a sportscaster on 98.7 in the tampa bay market uh and is a podcast listener and very kindly promoted the podcast and he asked me what i thought the marlins could do to kind of placate their fans or restore faith from the fan base, and I, I don't know that there is anything they can do right now or even how many fans they have left, but the one thing I mentioned was extending Giancarlo Stanton, uh, and of course he, did you, you saw his tweet earlier tonight, uh, or last night, uh, where he said, all right, I'm pissed off, with four exclamation points, plain and simple. Um, so that kind of makes you think that there's possibly no way to keep him in Miami or at least that it will be much harder than it would have been before well even if they had so what right <laughs> you have one signed into a 10-year deal and traded him in four months <laughs> yes right uh, I think and there's I think no that, team around him at this point so. I think there's I think there's one thing that they can do and that's just that's to win 95 games and make the playoffs I mean I, Ken Arneson just tweeted just before we started recording uh, something along the lines of uh, we, whatever people were saying about the Marlins. Uh, I think somebody had tweeted that 
um, no Marlins fans should go to a game next year or something like that. And Ken said people were saying the same thing about the A's last year, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, the A's hadn't competed for uh, like what, four or five years. And they um, seemed to constantly be building towards something and then selling off just before they got there. And so they traded Gio Gonzalez and Trevor Cahill, who were their two most famous players, um, for prospects. And I think there was a, a similar backlash, not not as much because the A's aren't the Marlins, but a similar backlash to this sort of idea that they aren't committed to winning as much as they're committed to whatever. I don't know. I don't even know. I mean, I guess with the A's, the idea was that they were sort of self-sabotaging in order to get a, uh, a new city. But anyway, the A's undid that damage by winning Mm -hmm. and you can't just win i mean the marlins can't just say okay so that's our plan now we're gonna take this team and we're gonna win but if it happens i think that there will be a lot of uh sins forgiven um because winning makes it look like you had a plan um and losing makes it look like you don't have a plan so how or when could that happen at this point you have a team that has something like 13 million dollars committed to the payroll next season uh, mostly ricky nolasco with uh with i guess you know escobar making some money now and and i mean there's just nothing else on the roster right now the prospects they got back uh i guess are, are good prospects but not they kind of aren't either the blue chip sure thing a couple of years down the road or the ready right now kind of average contributor. They kind of fall somewhere in the middle um, where they're not necessarily ready to step into a, a job and be an average player right now, but they're not necessarily sure things down the road either. Um, at least it's not like, I mean, with some uh, fire sales or, or some money dumps, you can kind of look at the prospects that a team got back and say, okay, well, this guy will be starting at this position next year, or this guy will be the centerpiece of the franchise for the next however many years. Chef Mathis will be the centerpiece of the franchise. <laughs> right. So they didn't get that kind of package back, and, and probably they shouldn't have gotten that kind of package back considering the, the contracts that Toronto was eating there. Um, but... I, I don't even know what their timeline is right now for competing. It's yeah distant. I mean, it is distant, but again, you would have said the same about. I think you probably would have said the same about the A's last year. I don't think. I don't know. To me, I I, would, I didn't think the A's certainly had any chance in twenty third at twenty twelve, but I at the, I probably didn't think they had much in twenty thirteen or even twenty fourteen in particular with the way that the the rest of their division had uh, strengthened themselves. So, I mean, it's there's always an unpredictability to it. But yeah, I mean, this is a pretty pretty garbage team right now. Um, and so, yeah, I don't I don't have a plan for them. Certainly, <laughs> if they if they somehow are that team next year, it will help. They probably won't be that team next year. They're probably going to be terrible next year. All right. So we covered the depressing part of the deal. I guess. No, wait, wait. One more thing. I just want to ask one more thing okay. about that. Um, do you? We kind of talked about the Yankees uh, a week ago and whether they have an obligation to uh, spend their money um, as you know to spend all the money they have to put a product on the field, and that will come up a lot, I think, in the next couple of days, where people will uh, debate the obligation a team has to its city. Yeah. Uh, do you buy that? Do you think that a team has an obligation to their city? Uh, no, 
I mean, it's I just kind of look at it as a business, and if they want to make a profit, they should probably try to win. I don't see it as an obligation, really, although maybe the, the publicly funded stadium aspect kind of makes more of an obligation to put some presentable team on the field. One thing I wanted to bring up was that I wonder what the backlash will be from the players union or, or from, I mean, it was, I think in January of 2010, the players union put out a pretty strong statement about the Marlins not spending. Uh, and the perception was that they were just kind of pocketing their revenue sharing money and not really making a good faith effort to compete. Um, and now you have a team that's basically is paying Ricky Nolasco next season, and that's about it. Uh, I mean, presumably they will add some payroll before the start of next season, but it will be a, a massive cut, and you'd have to think that they will be one of the lowest, if not the lowest, payrolls next season. So I wonder whether they can get away with this. Last time uh, when they weren't spending and they were chastised for it, they kind of had to spend some money just to show that they were trying to win or just to placate the players' union to some extent. And I wonder whether they will have to do that again now. Although just spending money for the sake of spending money when you've just traded all all the money that was committed seems like a bad idea too. Uh, I mean, if they were just to sign a, a free agent or two right now, maybe their payroll would be more respectable in some sense. But the team probably wouldn't be a whole lot better the outlook wouldn't be much better um so i don't know what they do um i think that the publicly funded stadium doesn't change the the ethics at all that to me is i think that's a decision that public officials make and that the club is in their in their best interest to try i mean even from a competitive standpoint it's in their best interest to try to get the public to pay for it Mm -hmm. it's not their decision and blame the representatives i do though think that and I, I don't know that there's a I, I think that there's sort of a more of an, an ethical issue that there are a lot of places to make money. If you've got a half a billion dollars in capital that you control, there are just so many ways to make money in this world that to go and step all over a community's baseball club uh, seems to be the wrong way to make money. It seems like a particularly kind of sleazy way to make money, or maybe not sleazy, but sort of jerky way to make money. Um, I think that you buy a club because you want to have a club and you uh, want to treat it like a thing that you love, um, the same way that all of us would if we could own a club. So yeah, it, I do. Really I do think a, it's fair to a way to get to, rich. It's more of a, a thing you do when you've already gotten rich and you want to yeah. enjoy your money. Yeah, and I think you should enjoy it. I think uh, screw the bottom line. Um, all right, so Toronto now is um, is going to be some people's picks for the AL East next year, mm-hmm. which is new. That's new. Yeah. Um, do you think that they are a elite team? Uh, I don't know that any of the AL East teams right now is necessarily an elite team. Uh. I mean, maybe relative to the other teams, but not in... I wouldn't expect any of them to to be any kind of powerhouse like I would have maybe in the past few years. Uh, But I I mean, I don't know. It's so early and this is so new that I don't know what I would project the Blue Jays to do next season, but I think that this move probably makes them as, as good a pick as any other team in the division, I guess, or close to it. 
I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I'm. I. I would have to. I. It's new. You're right. It's like you say. It's. Uh, it's new. I haven't really had a chance to get accustomed to this roster. It doesn't strike me as a particularly strong team. Um, no. And it, and it doesn't strike me as a. I mean, they got three. I mean, I don't know, but basically they got three guys, right? And Reyes is really good, and Johnson might be, but I don't count on him for anything right now. Mm -hmm. And Burley is a number three starter. Um, So I don't know how much I think that... I mean, what did they win last year? Like 70 games? Uh, well, they had so many 73 and yeah, they had all so many injuries pitching injuries. And, and if you're going to try to fix a team that has had pitching injuries, I guess you can't do any better than Mark Burley, who has basically never missed a start in his career or so. It seems just glancing at his, uh, extremely short injury section on his BP player card, you know that he will pitch or you can be as certain that he will pitch as you can with any pitcher. Um, I don't know how well his his approach translates to a better hitter's park and the AL East as opposed to the NL East, but you can certainly count on him to be there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems like maybe the Jays felt that this was the start of their window or a good time to strike in that they have... Not that there's really any urgency because they have what is generally regarded as the best or one of the best farm systems in baseball, but uh, there doesn't seem to be an unbeatable team in the AL East right now. Um, They have Jose Batista for not all that much longer, and maybe they want to do some things while they can still count on him to be productive. Uh, And... Probably they expect just from better health to be a lot better than they were last year. Because I think, I mean, people expected the Jays to compete last year, is my general impression. Or at least to to be a pretty good team. Uh, Certainly not a 73-win team. So maybe this was a, a good time to strike and that this would make the difference. And that maybe they would be... Not that we talked about them in our discussion of, of the teams on that sort of 85 to 90 win bubble recently, but maybe they are one of those teams. I I guess I, um, I'm i probably not as familiar with the Blue Jays uh, as I am with some of our um, more American teams. <laughs> Especially uh, now that Jeff Davis <laughs> is not on the team anymore. No, I um, I no really though. I mean, the Blue Jays. It was easy for them to sort of get lost um, to to a lot of an, uh, of, of writers last year, and so like my if basically what I know about the Blue Jays is they were supposed to be pretty good, um, and then they got a lot of injuries and they were bad. But to be honest, I can't really tell you. I mean, Batista missed. Um, like a third of the season or or 40% of the season. That's a huge injury, right? Mm-hmm. That's a huge one. And I know Morrow missed like two months or so, which is pretty big because he's their best pitcher. Mm-hmm. And so those are two those are two injuries. I mean, that's probably six wins or so that you give up. But they were I, – I can't think of any other really key injuries, and I'm probably just blanking on which injuries those were. It, just glancing at their, um, their stats, it looks like they have – fairly full playing time numbers for most of their main guys. And they had the second worst offense and the third worst pitching staff in baseball last year. Reyes doesn't really do much to improve the offense when you consider that 
you know, you know, you know, Escobar, I guess, you know, Escobar is a, is a worse hitter, but he's a better defender. So, I mean, you know, Escobar is a kind of an underrated, he's a three win a year player mm-hmm. as it is. So it's not like that's a massive upgrade and the pitching is huge because their pitching was terrible, but their hitting was also really terrible. So I guess I would probably, um, accept that they, um, that, that they're better than I'm giving them credit for now. And once I look at it more, I'll probably see it. But it doesn't, they don't blow me away. Yeah. Uh, and you figure they're probably not done at this point. Um, because I don't know. They might be. They well, just took on, how much did they just take on? They took on yes, it's 40, uh, 50, 50 some million just for next year, 60 some million. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what their, what their payroll is or how much spending room they have left, but clearly they are going for it now so maybe they will make some moves that a team that is going for it will make sort of you know complimentary supplementary moves uh and they already hope they do that's a team i can root for for yeah and and they had already signed as tourists and bonifacio is a useful player um so they get some some good things in this deal and and i would I don't know. I I would kind of expect that maybe they would go for a veteran manager now, or maybe it it's more likely that they would go for a, a veteran Ian. manager, <laughs> right? Yes, <laughs> but uh, just the fact that they do have all these veterans and that they are a win now team, maybe to a greater extent than they were before this trade, maybe makes it more like or less likely that they go with one of those managers who's just good at working with young players and developing people and then gets cast aside when a team is actually good again. Yeah, I generally have thought that um, Anthopolis has done a very good job uh, during his time, but mainly he's been in tinker mode, and um, yeah, and, he's... And, and, and I've liked his tinkering, and so now he's finally got a team where he's added enough sort of star power that the tinkering kind of, ma- like the stakes of the tinkering go up, Yeah, and there aren't really many GMs I'd rather have making those final tinkers. Yeah, and I think I might write something about that because I've been meaning to write something about all his tinkering. He is, uh, the Blue Jays have made the most transactions of any team since he took over. And also in the last year or so, they have made by far the most moves. And most of them were minor moves and lots of reliever moves. Uh, And there were no previous moves on the order of this one, of course. But yeah, maybe he has kind of set himself up now with all those uh, preparatory moves to seal the deal with this one, although uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty about how they will do. One last question. Um, obviously, he'll have the park factor on his side and the league factor on his side, but who has... Who, uh, sorry, I should have said who I'm talking about before <laughs> I said that. Yes. Who will have a lower ERA next year, Henderson Alvarez or Mark Burley? <laughs> uh... I guess I will go with Burley, probably. Oh, I go with Alvarez. Yeah. I definitely I go with Alvarez for ERA. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can see it, uh, but Burley will make more starts. Burley will make more starts, and I would probably go, probably would go with, probably would go with Burley for an adjusted stat. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, that was that. Well, I guess we're done with that. So send us your questions for tomorrow's show at podcast at baseballprospectus.com, and we will answer them unless there is a 12-player trade that is made at some point today.